Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Nico Abea joins the podcast this week. Nico is an online coach, but more importantly, he is a transformation specialist. And on today's episode, we discuss and break down addiction, core nutritional habits, the foundations of being a successful human being, and doing hard things. Today's episode is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So click the link in the show notes and use code everybody at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now on to episode 149 of Something for Everybody with Nico. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Nico, welcome to the show, man. Aaron, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, I'm pumped to have this conversation. We're going to get into a lot, a lot of good stuff today. All of my favorite topics, mindset, fitness, and everything that encompasses those two very large topics. <clears throat> but before I ask, before we get into all of that, before we get your expertise on a lot of things, I have my, my most important question that I want to ask you basically in the next hour. And it is, how are you? Like, how are you doing? Like, really doing? I love that. I think that's an awesome way to start any conversation and uh, try and keep it short so we could get to the other the other things. But uh, yeah, as of right now, I feel very good. Um, I just recently came back from a 10-day trip to the Philippines, um, and it was very different from most of the trips I've taken over the last few years or last decade, actually. Um, and it was with my dad. Um, left my left my wife at home with my dog, and it was just like a father son type of bonding trip. Um, it's good for it was really good for my soul. So I guess I could kind of I'll get into it a little bit, but um, I'd say I was a child of dysfunction. Right, grew up my my father was in and out of jail since I was ten years old, and um, only recently that I find out or kind of come to realize that not only was he a drug dealer and a felon, but he's also an addict himself. So kind of that glass shattering late, late, late 2021, 2022 was, uh, was a big moment for me in my life. And just, it kind of felt like everything was crashing down. So since that point, um, it's been a lot of, of work that I've had to do to try and understand, you know, that it was, a, <laughs> I think, I think the biggest thing initially when I found out that he was, he was an addict, um, it was a surprise to me. Like he, I got a call basically one day and found out that he overdosed and they had to bring him back to life. So for me at that point, I was thinking, I was like really mad at him, you know? And then my first question, the initial one that really stuck with me for a few months was, am I not a good enough son to want to be alive for, mm -hmm. you know, like I worked so hard to build this life of what seems like success and happiness and, and fulfillment. And, um, and like, you're not proud enough, you know, to want to want to be around to stick around to see that, like, although that was not 
why I did it, but it, it feels like it was, you know, like, I feel like I want to make my dad proud. Um, so yeah, uh, enter yeah, Let's just get the timeline down. So 2021, that was 2021 and a Thanksgiving day when I found out, went into a, just like deep dive into alcohol, maybe four or five times a week, blacking out, um, marriage got on the rocks because of it. I was, I'd found myself defending alcohol and then trying to keep it in my life. And, um, once I finally snapped out of that after a few months, I think in January, um, I was like, Hey, let me be, let me, let me try and be sober. And then maybe I can, you know, tell my dad, Hey, like I'm doing it. Maybe you should try. So I, I started therapy, started going to AA and, um, it went really well for the first like 40 days. And I was like, okay, 40 days, no alcohol. That's huge for me. Right. To go from every day to that. And I'm feeling like in a better space and I message him and I'm like, Hey pops, this is what I did. I've been going to meetings every day for the last 40 days. I'm clean. Like, how would you feel if like, how would you feel about trying to do something similar? You know? And his response was, don't worry about me. And, uh, oh fuck. Dude, that went from it, that was a roller coaster, right? Because I'm, I'm I started off thinking you don't want to be alive for me into, wow, that's such a slap in the face, and then it, it was only soon after that when I kind of at the root of it realized, hey, like he 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 was he's an addict because of the same reason I was on my way to becoming one. Like we were running from something, running from pain, something happened, right? So I think coming to the understanding that hey, maybe I can't change him. And I can only understand, I can only try and understand where he's coming from because I don't know what happened, you know, to, to make him want to live that type of lifestyle. Um, then it became kind of, uh, a, a small goal to just see him more often, you know, just be around, uh, offer my support without trying to pry and without talking about, you know, whether or not he's staying sober or staying clean. Um, I could only just really focus on myself at that point. Right. And, it, and it, I think it really helped our relationship in so many ways. And then, you know, fast forward a year of pretty much a year of sobriety. I did have a, a little bit in the middle where I, I drank a little bit to try and see if I could. Um, and I think it did go well, but it's fast forward, fast forward a year with him. Um, and I thought, uh, it would be nice to take a trip with him back for, back to the Philippines where he's from. He moved here when he was 20. And he just hasn't been back since, uh, part because parole and he was getting arrested so often that he couldn't really leave the country. Um, and then another part of me wanted to do it because I realized uh, I haven't gone on a trip with him since I was 10. And I'm 30 31, 32 now. And uh, I think for a long time I was, I didn't want to go places with him or, or travel with him to kind of punish him in a way and saying like, you don't get to hang out with me because you missed so many important milestones in my life. It was really nice to be able to go there with him, hang out, be present, enjoy, you know, Filipino food. Um, it was, it was, it was really good for the soul. So right now I feel really good about just being home and kind of every day. It's only been five days. So technically I'm still jet lagged. I was, I just woke up from a nap to try and wake up for this. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I feel good right now. So my, my how, how do you, my answer to how do you feel or how are you right now? It's I feel full. Cup feels full. Is this time in your life the best relationship you've had with your father? 
Probably not. Probably not. I, I still think, or maybe maybe because I'm glorifying it, I haven't really thought in comparison to what it was, but he was an amazing dad, brother. Like, just because he wasn't there, you know, from 10 to, let's say, on and off until 25, I, I don't hold that against him. And I still feel like um, so much of the good, the good in me, I feel I, I, I got from him or I learned so many lessons from him from, you know, in, in my childhood. And he did so many things. He was there. He was present. Um, that, that, that the, the relationship that I had when I was younger, I think it was just like amazing. Mm-hmm. Like he was my absolute hero growing up. And I think that was what was so hard about, um, like him getting arrested was that like in Filipino culture, we're, we're very like big on trying to save face and like trying not trying to maintain our reputation, so to speak. So for the first few years, I had to like lie to my family, even though they probably knew it was, it was pretty insulting. And at the end of the day, it was like, tell, you have to tell them that your dad is in the Philippines. So I did, I lied. I said, oh, he's in the Philippines for years, you know? And then it's, it's like obvious that he was, he was somewhere else. Um, so I had to do that. So like in doing that, I, I don't know what, what it felt like I was being conditioned to do was like, I have to be ashamed of the person that I love so much. Right. And to be ashamed of who I am and to not be able to talk about it. It was, it was really fucking hard. Um, it wasn't until about high school where I really kind of like owned it. And it was, it was like in my college apps and my personal statement and how I think it even positively affected my life having to deal with, you know, a, a single, a single mom household and, and a, a, an incarcerated father, you know, it definitely helped me grow up in ways faster than, uh, than I would have without. Um, but yeah, I think, I think as of right now, it's, I'm still, those were still like the glory days, you know, before he went away. And I think, but maybe before, but now it feels, it feels like it's on the up, you know, like not, not too, it still feels like we're making up for lost time. What did, what have you, or what did you learn about addiction through your process and through watching him currently or in previous? Ah, uh, hmm. I think early in it, or at least late in it, later in it, when I was, when I, when I made the split between understanding that he wasn't really making a choice at that point to, to say he's choosing drugs over me. Mm. Um, I think, I think a a lot of it usually stems from somebody running from some type of pain. Yeah. And, um, the one thing that I, so I, I started off in AA and the one thing that I didn't like was the, um, the part where you introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Nico and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I think the, the words we speak have so much power, right? And to, to kind of claim that every single day, every time you want to talk and speak, you have to say that it didn't, it didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't think I was like, I knew I had a problem at the time, but I just didn't like that. I was saying it over and over. Right. Um, I had this little jar before uh, behind me and now it's, it's not replaced. I think it used to be on this side of my, my desk, but it was, uh, it was a jar. It said, I am a millionaire. And there was two different jars and the one jar was filled with pebbles. And the other one that said, I'm a millionaire was, was empty at one point. 
and I figured out how to make a million dollars in a year. And I said, I saw this post that said, if you have 250 people that pay $333 a month for a year, you'll make a million. And I was like, oh, I could, I could probably do that. That's, that's totally doable, right? Like, yeah. So then I, my, my wife made this thing for me and she filled it with pebbles and I would move it every time someone would sign. And it would say, I'm a millionaire, right? And I it's, think back to that when I, when I wrote that, I had, had a, I had a decent you know, online fitness coaching business, but it wasn't until I claimed it and kind of, you know, that B do have, like, I, I believed I was a, a millionaire before it, it happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took, yeah, it took like a little bit less than a year and all the rocks were over. And I was like, holy shit, I'm, I did that, you know? And just having to say that I was, I was an alcoholic, it just didn't sit right with me in that. So I ended up moving from AA to something called um, ACA. Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. ACA. So ACA stands for adult children of alcoholics or dysfunction. It's kind of like a, it feels very similar to that group, except um, it feels like you're, you're not, you're, you're, you kind of have a reason for why you are the way you are because children that grew up in, in dysfunction are just different from kids that grew up in, let's call it like a well-adjusted home. Sure. Right? Like if you didn't have parents that were addicts or you weren't beat as a child or you weren't, you know, you didn't go through some type of big T trauma, then maybe you're not what would be considered an adult child. Um, so I've been going, I replaced my A meetings with those and it's been super therapeutic, but pretty much everyone in there as well has come from another room with some form of addiction, whether it be narcotics, alcoholic, um, food. Um, so yeah, so addiction, I feel what I've learned over the last year is it, it, it stems from something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think the hard part for me was, I think just realizing what the, what I was running from, you know, and like, for me, alcohol was the gateway to not have to feel the things that I was feeling at the time, right? Like, wow, I'm, I went from accepting the fact that like my dad was an, um, like a felon and I kind of owned that. I said, well, uh, maybe that's where I get my entrepreneurship from, like kind of jokingly to having to say he's, he's an addict. It, it just didn't feel, didn't feel good. It wasn't something that I was able to be proud of, um, <laughs> naturally. Um, and it was just like any, any chance that I could not be in my body, I, I took it and it was, it was pretty intense. Again, it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And, um, uh, yeah, it's kind of sucks to admit, but I think the one the one time that I, I realized like it was bad was when I had a uh, a group onboarding call with new clients, and uh, I was like completely hammered like that day, and it took me a while to sober up for it. And I was like, "What am I doing, dude? Like, I am so blessed to be able to do this for a living, right? To help people change their lives, and it's just a slap in the face and it's disrespectful to 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 come into that, you know, as their first day, their first meeting, their first contact with me fucked up, you know? And at the end of the day, I did record it and it was, it was fine. I didn't miss a beat, but that's kind of what's scarier. I think mm -hmm. right? like to be able to do it, to be, to be a functioning alcoholic is, is way worse because people aren't going to catch you. You know, if I let my whole business slip away and it was, it, that would be a typical story of like alcoholism winning, but what if I could still function and, and do all the things that I'm doing and be and appear to be successful on the outside while slowly killing myself? Like no one would have noticed. And that was part of the problem was my wife noticed, but we she couldn't really get anyone else to say, 
yeah, maybe he is doing a little bit much right now, um, which was hard, you know? Yeah. Addiction is <clears throat> like people have this major misconception about addiction that it's just like a choice that you make. It's like, I'm going to be an addict. This is what I'm going to do. And it's easy for children to make that, to, to say that, right? Because they're children. They don't have right. – they don't understand the full capacity of being a human. They don't understand all the experiences that go into it. And they just see this person that they love and look up to choosing this thing over them. And that's a very plausible, logical thing for a kid to, to do, right? I, of course, anyone would do that. Like, okay, my father, my mother, my grandma is choosing this thing over me. Mm -hmm. Addiction is a choice. And now when you start to get older and you start to battle your own demons, then yeah. you understand like what you're saying is that it's a response. It's a response to trauma. Trauma can be whatever deeply affects you. And I've had a couple addiction specialists on this podcast, and they say that the thing that you become addicted to is really the thing that saved you because normally, not normally, in certain circumstances, people don't get addicted to something. They just end up choosing to end their life. Right. So instead of ending their life, they decided to cut themselves or drink a lot or take mm -hmm. drugs or gamble a lot or watch porn. Right. So they did this thing and they became addicted to this thing, which actually saved them when they decided that they were finally ready to get the help that they deserve and need. So there's just this like huge thing about thanking the thing that also ruined your life that sort mm -hmm. of saved you at the same time. And then trying then to relay that to the people that you hurt the most. Mm -hmm. And then they have to try and grasp that too. Like, Okay, yes, you weren't there for me when I needed you, but you didn't just actively choose to not love me. You had right. this thing, like you were said, that you were deeply hurt from and running away from and trying to numb it out so you could just sort of continue to try and live. Exactly. Um, and that's what people have to learn about addiction. And then, but people also have to make the choice, right? I can tell you over and over again, hey, man, I think you got a problem. Hey, I think you got a problem. Your dudes, your bros, your mom, everyone can tell you, hey, Nico, bro, it's like, I think you might be drinking too much. And you're like, no, I just had an onboarding call. I just crushed it. What do you mean? I'm fine. I just right. nailed my business. I'm doing nothing out of the ordinary, but I also feel great because I'm drunk. Until it becomes a point where you're like, like something really catastrophic has to happen. You know, a lot of times it's with drunk driving, it's, you know, killing mm -hmm. someone or things. Like you get in an accident and your whole life flashes before your eyes or it's like, right. you know, all these, all these unbelievable stories that you hear all the time where people survived and made it through and then decided actively, I'm going to take ownership over my life. I'm going to take mm -hmm. full responsibility for this thing and try and figure it out. Not that maybe I won't be healed forever, but I can do better than I'm doing now. And that's all really that you can ask for is to like try and do better than you're doing now. And then over time, like as an AA, right, you have to start repairing and mending these relationships mending. and asking for forgiveness and doing all of this deep internal work to like figure to like figure it out and try and fix it. And then like as you as you're moving along with your father now, it's like a slow progress. Like, okay, can I trust this man? It's like, okay, maybe we'll go on a trip. Can I tell him about my life? Does he want to hear about my wife and my dog and all of these things in my business? Okay, he showed up. He showed up, yeah. you know, and then you build this sort of emotional bank account with someone. And then maybe your dad makes a mistake six months from now. But you're like, no, I've already built up a rapport with him now. Like, I know he just made a mistake and he's sorry. And now, as before, it could be a bunch of other things. But it's just important to think about all of that stuff and how tricky like addiction is and how tricky our mental health can be and how hard 
life can beat you down if you don't have some of these things to lean on or you don't you haven't read about it or you don't have someone in your life to mentor you or all of these different things or you don't have a podcast that you listen to regularly because this is where a lot of people get their yeah. information i mean there's podcasts out there with like phd doctors who are telling you insights about really important stuff and so yeah man uh man. i just wanted to add that to all no the, that's that's amazing i, I love that, that piece i think i think the 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 key thing i think that's sticking with me is is being able to thank the the substance or the the process that someone was addicted to to and then thank you for keeping them alive you know just just a little bit longer um that hits home definitely hits home <clears throat> um but yeah i love when we just get real get into it right off the, right off the bat but um I want to sort of switch gears a little bit, and then I think we'll get back to this stuff later. But yeah, for sure. I want to talk about your business because I think that's really cool. Like when people see you and follow you on Instagram, either your fans or, or my listeners are listening to this podcast, and they're like, mm -hmm. "All right, well, what's Nico do? So what is what is G Eight Fitness, and basically what what do you do day to day?" Yes, G Eight Fitness is an online fitness coaching business that I run. Uh, G Eight was is G Eight Fitness is the LLC that I created, and G Eight to me. Um, I remember learning in school about the G8 summit and it was like the eight largest nations in the world that would come together like once a year, meet and tackle world problems. And, and I just thought that was interesting. And I tabled that for, for many years. And when I started my, my fitness coaching journey, I, I thought it was, it felt very similar. Like once I had enough knowledge to help other people, I felt like the duty and obligation to do so. It's like if I have the power to change someone's life or change the world, then I need to do that. So G8 kind of it resonated me in that sense, and I've r ran with it for the last 10 years. Um, but day to day, I think it's it's just a little bit different than your than a personal trainer in that I don't work out with my clients. So it's all online. It's all through an app, uh, FaceTime, Zoom, Loom. And uh, we, we, we mainly look at food, like 80% of what we talk about maybe 90% uh, is, is food, 10% uh, workouts and cardio kind of mixed in. But I feel like I, I really got busy, um, like about three years in, took me three years to really be, it be a full-time gig. I was, luckily I was in school. So I started as like a sophomore or a junior in college as a side thing to try and make enough money to pay for flights to visit my girlfriend at the time. She was Canadian. She's from Toronto. And we met on Instagram through my fitness page. So we were trying to figure out how to see each other every month. And when I was when I had my posted my first transformation, I remember someone said, Hey, can you help me? And I was like, Yeah, give me a 100 bucks. And I'll and I'll walk you through this, you know, for the next 12 weeks. And I did that. And it's funny, I still look at some of those early emails. And I remember it saying, I, I told somebody it was going to be like 150 bucks and then $200 for 12 or 16 weeks or something crazy. And, uh, yeah, as of this year, I think in order to work with me directly, that price is up to five, 6,000. So it's, it's scaled up. Right. And that's, that's from working with so many people over the years. Uh, I think I've just crossed the 2000 client mark, which is, which is crazy for me to think. And, um, yeah, it's, it's all food. And I feel like, when I talk to my therapist about what I do and when I've talked to other therapists, actually they say, you know, what's funny is as a therapist, I talk like 80% about food. Like most of the time I'm talking about food with my clients 
And I said, hmm, well, as a, like a fitness coach and nutritionist, when I'm talking to my clients, it's like only 20% food and then 80% what else is going on in their life. Right. So she's like, oh, you're kind of like a therapist too. And I was like, sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes our calls get really, really deep, you know? And I feel like one, let's call it a, I, I think at one point when I was drinking, I felt like it was a burden. Like I, I, I remember saying like, I don't know if I can do this for very long because my clients don't understand that I have, you know, multiple clients and that I am not a therapist. And then when I jump on a call or, you know, start reading my messages and they're, they're, firing off the heavy stuff on me, you know, things like miscarriages, divorce, job loss, deaths. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I was thinking like, I'm not, I'm not your guy. Like that's, this is outside my scope of practice, right? Like we can talk macros and all that. But um, yeah, after getting sober, I was thinking, wow, it's, that is a blessing that they, that I have people coming to me with that, that they trust me enough to, you know, to hold space for them for that. And, uh, it's it's a beautiful thing, I think, um, to tie into fitness, you know, or just to be able to, to somebody to have a coach that they also find they they trust enough to you know lay it all out there with. And then sometimes I feel like when they do tell me that, I'm thinking, you know what, like a lot of people don't have somebody to talk to on the regular, right? Like maybe their spouse, maybe a sibling or something. But like if I'm talking to my clients every week, sometimes daily. Like I'm kind of that guy at some point, right? Um, which again is is something that I'm really proud of. It's it just means the world to to do what I do, and you know, for the for this long, ten years now. That's I haven't done anything else out of college. I just went right into fitness coaching, and then kind of got it, got right into it. Yeah, I want to ask you about how when you got into it, but first I I want to touch on what you just said there at the end. Cause like when you're, when you're trying to look at like just the overall well being of a person, like everything matters, right? Yeah. If you think about like the four pillars of a really solid human, the foundation is like move well, think mm -hmm. well, eat well and sleep well. Yeah. Right. That's it. We try to make it more complicated, like on Instagram and YouTube with like have to. this 12 hacks to like I can't even come up with something that's like so weird that like there's four fundamentals like eat right. well, move well, sleep well, and think well. Yes, there's tons of stuff like in the think well part that like gratitude, prospering, journaling, meditating, mm -hmm. your mental health. But the eat, move, and sleep, very self-explanatory, very yeah. simple. Exactly. But if one of those things is off, it deeply affects the other, right? As mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a transformation specialist, as an expert, right? If someone's sleep yeah. is off their workouts aren't going to be as good. They're not going to be exactly. as energized to eat the right foods, even if it's planned out, right? If it's not planned mm -hmm. out, they're just going to grab sort of whatever. And then that sort of spirals them out. And then they're not thinking well, because now they hate themselves even more than they did previous. And it's like a very complicated, very hard yeah. thing. And so it's having like a dominoes coach, sometimes. Yes. A hundred percent. Like one falls and just, yeah, you know? And so having a coach like yourself or any coach in sort of any domain, where mm -hmm. people like, I don't know if they're coming to you and they're saying these things because they want you to fix them because I don't think they think they're broken, but I think right. they just want someone to hear them like you're saying. Yeah. Like, just That's listen. what it feels like. Like it's like, Nico, you're nice and you listen and you look at me and you see me and you're trying to help me. Please mm -hmm. just hear me. Um, and I feel the same way exactly with you because I, I get that a lot with the people that I talk to. 
And it's like on one end, I have this like deep honor and I love the responsibility of hearing these people and holding space for them and mm -hmm. trying to just see them as the human that they are. But then at the same token, I'm like, I am sort of like a random person and it feels really terrible that you have no one else to go to with this information. And right. like, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking it is. in a sense, because that's like, exactly what I feel. Yeah. How, how can we, as people build more relationships and connections where yeah. you're not going to share your deepest, darkest secrets with everyone. I mean, we're sort of doing it right now on a very public platform, but I mean, in like a, a normal setting, right? You go to a coffee right. shop and you're in line with someone waiting for, to get a latte and you're not going to be like, Bleh. here's my whole life. Right. But right. your vulnerability is for, it has to be for people because that's how you build actual relationships. And mm -hmm. if we can just create more of those spaces, it doesn't have to be 30 people. You just have to have no. one or two people in your corner who, when you tell them good stuff to, they're freaking more excited than if they do something good. And yeah. when you're, when you're not holding yourself accountable, they're there to call you out on your shit. And when you fall down and your life just looks like it's a mess, they're there to literally put you on their shoulder and carry you to your next spot until you can walk again. Like those are the friendships we're trying to create. And some people just don't have that yet in their life. And you yeah. can, you can make those happen. And we just have, do, to would you say you have those in your life right now? I do. Yes. It's like, nice. I, I thank God for my friends like every day. Like I, I, like I have a beautiful girlfriend that lives with me. Um, I have an amazing relationship with my parents nice. and I have my friends that I played college baseball with that, um, I think would do anything for me. And I've seen them do things for me when I needed them the most, when my life was at its worst and hardest. Mm. And so I, I want people to have that, man. It's like just someone, yeah. you know, and if me and you can be that person for now for them and give them the power and the permission to go out there and be like, okay, I can do this. Like I can take a mm -hmm. step in the right direction. I'm a real person. I have power and I can do this. I can make a friend. And that yeah. like some people may laugh when I say make a friend, but it's not funny. It's not, it's not. <laughs> It's, it's not, not because some people are just don't have friends and they feel fucking lonely, man. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. And then people make fun of them for being lonely and not having friends. And how, do the, how does that make them feel? Makes them feel way worse than it already did before because they don't have yeah. friends to hold them, to support them, to tell them it's going to be okay when one person makes fun of them. And they go on Instagram and all these places where people are mean. And the world's like mean. mean is an overused word, but it's like the world it, it is. Like, and so if we can be an encouragement, like mm -hmm. you with 2000 people that you helped, that's fucking incredibly insane and awesome. Like that has a domino effect. You have no idea mm -hmm. where those 2000 people have gone in their life. Hey, Nico told me this on the call today. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to share this with my group chat that has 17 friends in it or 17 people in it or whatever, or in a Facebook group that I'm in. It's like, I'm yeah. getting kind of caught up in my words because it's just like, it, it means so much. It's so powerful. And so, yeah, like that's good, man. It's like, it's, it's not just fitness and it never will be just fitness. Like I was looking at your page and I was looking at some of the things you pub. It's like enough. It's not just fitness, man. That's just like a, that's like a starting point. That's how it gets people. Yeah. It's like the talking point. It's, it's like, like the talking yeah. point. But anyways, to circle back a little bit, <clears throat> online fitness coaching is like a boom now. It's like everyone. It does. is. God. Like 10 years ago, no one was doing it. How did you know mm -hmm. to start that? That's like fucking incredible. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I do remember. So I did, I can't say I was like a, a pioneer because I had fitness coaches myself and it was a, the district manager of the supplement company that I worked for at the time was called Max Muscle. 
The district manager told me that some guy in the Central Valley made like a hundred grand selling meal plans. And again, I was like a sophomore junior in college and I was like, really? Okay. Like, let me try that, you know? And, and one thing that I'm glad that I have, it feels very natural to me is when I hear of something happen, it's, it's, it's always, okay, it must be possible. Right. Versus sometimes people might think of ways where maybe he had it easier or how he got lucky or how he's different or how I am not him. It was, it was very much like, okay, if, if he did it, let me try. And it was, it was after that, that I, I figured I'd chase it. But again, the, the fitness coaches that I had were awesome at what they did and did everything online, which was very different from what I thought was required, you know, in having a personal trainer. So breaking that belief that like you can help people transform without even seeing them was something that I got from my, my coaches. And then, you know, hearing that it was a full-time gig for somebody out in, you know, in California was, was all I really needed to hear to try and pursue it. Amazing. When did your personal fitness journey begin? Like, when did you get into working out and stuff? Oh, high school. Nice. Yeah. I was, uh, like a hundred pound sophomore <laughs> trying to play, trying to play varsity football. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's funny is the, uh, the second part to G8 is the G8 was the, the locker room number or the, the room number of the, the weight room mm. at my gym. So, or at my school. So shout out to G8. <laughs> uh, that's, that's where I transformed for my, my first time. Right. And, and I remember going into high school tiny and it was always kind of, I just felt, I didn't feel safe sometimes. I right? just being in my body and then playing football and being, being such like a high contact sport. I knew I needed something and just, Spending one summer with my strength and conditioning coach, uh, Josh Bowie, he freaking, I turned into like an animal. I put on like 40 pounds of muscle and I was faster, stronger. And, um, you know, part of that I think was maybe he was one of the first people to, you know, show me that I, I could control. I had a little bit more control in my own life than I thought I did, you know, leading up to that point. It was so, it felt very reactive. Like, oh, my parents split up. Oh, my dad goes to jail. I'm moving around with my mom. I, I felt like I had no say in my life up until that point. Mm -hmm. And then when I was able to, to go from like 100 pounds to 140 pounds, I, you know, I, I forget what they call it, but there's there's something that goes on in our brain or a phenomenon or a theory that once you do one thing, your your brain can think something else is possible, right? In, in like a very simple way of saying, well, if I did that, I, I'm pretty sure I could do something else or anything else. And that's, that's where it started. So I remember, yeah, doing that in high school and then college, college came around. Right. And I didn't get any, I didn't get any looks. I was, I wasn't a very good football player. I think I was, I was a contributor, which felt really good, but I wasn't a, like an all-star or anything. Um, and I, 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 I did attribute that to just being so small. I'm five, seven, 140 pounds. Like that's not, you know, USC doesn't want me. <laughs> so at that time it was 2009. Luckily for me at that same time was when Manny Pacquiao, the boxer was making his run at like world titles and me being Filipino, like Filipinos just love other Filipinos. It's like natural for us to just root. We don't care. We just, if they're Filipino, we, we want to root for them. If they're half, we're fucking, we're getting a Jersey, you know, in, in the league. <laughs> so I remember watching, you know, I watched boxing growing up a little bit like Tyson and stuff like that, but I was glued to the screen when I'd watch Manny Pacquiao highlights and Surprisingly, like he, we were the same weight. Like I, this, the weight that he was fighting at, at the time, I was the same weight. 
So I was like, you know what? I think I want to be in a sport where I control my own destiny, right? It felt kind of shitty to be on like a one out of 11 and lose, lose, lose all the time. Like there's no accountability in that, right? Like I want to win. So I got into boxing because one, it was like, oh, let's level the playing field and make sure that I'm playing with people my size, my weight. That would already be a, a enough of a you know upgrade from football. And then you know I want to I want to control my my fate every 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 match, and just um, you know say, say it's all on me. <laughs> so that and then learning how to diet myself down for 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 matches mm-hmm. was actually what got me interested in nutrition in the first place mm. um you look like a wrestler did you wrestle in high school or college or high school in middle school or anything oh like that? man you did right i wrestled in high school and then i became a professional wrestler like ww oh, wrestler. Fuck. oh shit okay cool i i could, I could see that it's something yeah. about just the now, way you now i do uh, now i do jujitsu so okay cool the jujitsu is fun I need, I need to get in that but the wrestling piece like wrestlers know that weight cuts and are miserable right i remember seeing wrestlers eating celery and like not drinking water like for the <laughs> yeah. week of their their bout right and i was like i don't want to fight like that like i feel so crappy and i didn't really know at the time what that would feel like but now knowing what dehydration does to the body imagine going to a match hungover that's essentially what you're doing to your body when you're dehydrating to make weight so I always thought it was pretty easy to beat people up that were coming down to make weight for me because I lost weight the, the right way, right? Like mm. kept my protein high, tried to lose a pound a week, never water cut. I was hydrated. I remember I went up to my my first fight, saw the dude, he was sunken in and I was eating a Subway sandwich and like, yeah, sure. Adrenaline can only take you so far. But again, think think about fighting somebody that's hung over and you're, and you're chilling. That's how, that's what boxing felt like to me. Wow. And it, it was... Shit felt like it was slow motion sometimes, honestly, like dodging punches and, and slipping and punch. Like it felt like slow mo, really, to me, a lot of the times. Um, and it was great and it was fun. And I learned nutrition. I think that was my first time when I was learned what calories were, how to count them, what macros were, how to how to build a meal plan. So that was for myself. And then uh 20, when was my last fight? 2012. Yeah, 2012 was one of my last matches and the owner of the supplement shop that I was at was at the match. He was at my last two actually. And the first one, I remember he reached out and he was like, Hey, like you need to come and take some supplements and kind of represent our store. Like you're, you're fun to watch You're You have swag. It's fun to watch you. And I was like, dude, actually I'm not going to be fighting anymore. Um, but I saw on your Yelp page that like somebody had a crazy before and after transformation. And like, I can lose weight and I've done that before, but I've never been able to look like shredded or anything. So like, can you help me do that? So after my last match, the next day I went into the store and talked about how to get on a plan with, with one of their employees to start a physique competition Hmm. and, uh, did that, did a couple practice runs at that bulked up, put some size on, came back down. Maybe yeah, pretty much a year later, I got on stage for the first time Hmm. and, uh, it felt good. It felt good. It felt it felt different from boxing because again, like yeah. boxing, all I did was was win, and it felt really good to just beat people up, <laughs> and uh, never had to never had to experience loss in that, right? But then, uh, physique came around, and it was, dude. I remember getting on stage convinced. I was like, nobody fucking worked harder than me. I haven't cheated in a whole year, 
And then when my, my number didn't get called out, I just, it felt like the world was ending. It was like soul crushing. It's like, what was all this for? Do I want to do this anymore? I just wanted to walk off. It was, there was just so much emotion behind it. It felt like so much was, uh, felt like cheated, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, you, when you go to a competition, you're, you're competing against people that have been lifting for longer than you, that have more size than you, that have better genetics. It's actually not a fair playing field, right? Like we're literally going to compare my chapter one with someone's chapter 20. And there's people that competed 10 times and some that haven't competed. So I think once I became a coach and I had to kind of work people through understanding that, hey, when you go to a show, we can't go with any expectations to win because it's just, it is what it is. Whoever's going to show, you don't know if Arnold Schwarzenegger's <laughs> doppelganger is going to show up and be in your class, you know? Um, and it's about going with the mindset of, of knowing you did everything that you could mm -hmm. and being okay with that. Right. And, you know, so it took me a couple shows to get that down. And then as I did my first one, that's when I started getting a little bit more clients. And I think my mindset at least was, Hey, if I could do, this and compete, then you could probably just lose 10 to 15 pounds. And that was kind of the angle that I took for a while with my first, like, let's say hundred clients or so. And, uh, yeah, I always thought about it was super referral based. It was just nothing, you know, nothing intense, but took, took a few years to, for it to feel like I was, I made the right decision, you know, a career choice. But it, it, it happened like right as I was going into senior year. So I was like, okay, cool. I don't need to, I don't need to get another job because after at, at that year, I think it was, I, I did what the, the guy did and cleared a hundred K in, uh, in fitness coaching in, I think I was 2012, 2013 also. Yeah. Amazing. <clears throat> there in relationship to your personal story, I mean, there's just so much, there's so much good that can come from just doing hard things, right? Yeah. From like yeah. deciding to put on 40 pounds and hit the gym harder from deciding to do boxing, from getting on the stage. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there may have been successes in all of those things, but regardless of how they turned out, exactly like you said, it's like, I just still did that. And it's like, how does it translate to the rest of your life? There's no chance that it didn't have an impact on how you dealt with the hardest moments of your life mm -hmm. and how you decided to get through them. Yeah. There was bumps in the road. Yeah. You made some bad choices or whatever you want to call them. Right. But you still did them. You still overcame them. Because that that sort of uh, I don't know if you listen to David Goggins at all, but he says mm. yeah that there's chosen and unchosen suffering. Okay, right? We've we've yeah. gone through both. Everyone everyone goes through unchosen suffering. Everyone because everyone just gets fucking beat down by life. Sometimes there's yep. death, there's heartache, there's addiction, there's heartbreak, there's everything, all of it in there. But then there's the unchosen suffering. Like how do you armor yourself? Mm -hmm with things that you can do every day that are hard. And one of those things is the gym. Yeah. Like one of those things is fitness. Like one of those things exactly. is being disciplined so that when life comes at you, you've built a set of armor around you and you're just a little bit more tougher than mm -hmm. you might've been if you didn't do those things. And now being tough doesn't mean you don't ask for help and you don't say okay. that you need help. That's part of being tough. It's saying I'm, I'm beaten down right now, Nico, I need some help, bro. You know, exactly. but that's armoring yourself with friendships and relationships and all of that stuff that we talked about previous. And so mm -hmm. when you go through it personally as a coach, it's so much easier to convey to other people. Like I, I coach baseball, like 14 year olds, and yeah. I see coaches out there who are trying to teach their kids to be like these elite baseball players, which is awesome. Right. But they mm -hmm. themselves aren't doing anything 
to be elite themselves. Yeah, their playing career was over 30 years ago, but they're out of shape. They don't eat right. They don't do anything. They don't spend time with their fam. Like, how are you going to tell anyone who's 14 mm-hmm. and very impressionable and looks up to you because they're your coach and you're telling them to they, they got to be elite and try and be focused <laughs> and you're doing none of those things? Yeah. No, like, you don't have to be elite in terms of I have to be a professional baseball player. Like, be elite. Be an elite dad. Be an elite coach. Work right. out. Show kids what to do. Wake up early. All of these things that you can do to just be a role model and actually have your words and actions line up. That's what people want. It's super simple, but very hard to execute, but. (laughs) Very hard, very hard. Yeah, I think I saw one of your clips. I I believe your quote was, your words mean nothing if your actions aren't aligned with them. Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, what are we? You know, and I think at a very young age, I, I thought, what, like, what am I without my word? If I if I say I'm going to do something, why not just go through with that and do it? Again, it's a very simple concept, but very hard to apply. Um, which I feel like I've I've spun out a little bit over the years. I think at least over the last year, I feel like it was a smidge what I would consider like toxic positivity, mm. <laughs> or a little bit. How about it was more black and white thinking, right? It was this this concept of how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. And I remember when I when I went into my first show, the reason why it was so freaking heartbreaking when I didn't do well was because I, I the, the way I stuck with my diet was I would tell myself, "Hey, if I can't if I cheat on my diet, then if I can't if I if I can't even stay loyal to my diet, what makes me think I could stay loyal to my girlfriend that's living across the country?" Mm. So I like put cheating on my diet at the same level of uh, you know of, of imp- it being as impactful to me as like staying faithful as a as a significant other and then i said well if i can't even do an hour of cardio in the morning and at night what makes me think i could run a, a business someday hmm. and it was fucking exhausting there was really no no time for slip-ups no grace no breaks and and i'm like dude i couldn't have in hindsight i couldn't have operated from that place for too long yeah um but for the show you know five six months at a time cool yeah we can get into that space into that mindset and then and then try and like tone it down at some point but it was it was very black and white and it was very all or nothing um but yeah now i'm glad because if you look at some of my posts now they're way that you you could tell that i i come i i coach from a place of of, of giving people more grace than i think uh most most coaches would and there's almost zero tough love that i dish out actually nowadays compared to before I feel like we, we we beat ourselves up enough, you know, for feeling bad about not performing, you know, to the levels of expectation that that maybe they think I'm I'm expecting or that they wanted to set. So, yeah, it's it's just interesting to see how I've changed as a coach and my approach has changed over over the, over the years. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just as as you develop, the way you think about life changes and how you want to you know, how you want to reach people, but like Mm -hmm. for moments in our life, right. We can go for that sprint. Like you said, like we, I can go on a five, six month sprint right here. I got to get this done, but there's no durability and there's no sustainability for that. And that's really what you want for, for Mm long-term health. Like I want to do this forever. Right. Cause as you know, people talk about diets and like, okay, well, what's your diet does, is it going to last a week, two days, a month? Like how extreme is it? Is it mm-hmm. like, can you actually go out to eat with your friends still? Or you just have to stay home all day and never do anything because you have this <laughs> thing. 
Like, that's yeah. not what you want. You want to be like, you have this post that I want to talk about in a second, just relates to what I'm talking about is like, you want to have durability and sustainability for what you're doing. Right? right. Again, if you're going, if you're like, have this mission, this goal, like I have to get this, I have this date for this thing. Great. You got to go on a cool. sprint. Me and my girlfriend signed up for a fitness competition in November. Like it has a lot of running. I don't nice. run. I got to figure it out. Right. I got to figure it out. I do jujitsu. That's my cardio. I don't run miles. So I got, right. I got to train. And for, so for the next six months, I got to figure it out and I can't, I got to get it done because I committed mm -hmm. to her and we're doing it together. Okay. Now, after that, <laughs> no more running. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I'm finished. But, um, and so <clears throat> I say that because you have this post that says four ways to lose weight without giving up your social life. And I think mm -hmm. like that, just the caption of that is extremely important because people look at having to lose weight and they're like, okay, I have to change everything about my whole life. Everything, yeah. my whole existence has to change. I can't have any friends anymore. I'm not going to go to Chili's or Applebee's. Oh, that place sucks. Like, I can't do that. Chick-fil-A is out. Like, all these mm -hmm. places, whatever you eat. Yeah, just name some random places, but I do like yeah. Chili's. I think it's a good spot. I do too. <laughs> I do too. Um, but um, if you don't remember that post or what you said, I have it pulled up so we can I can remind you. But um, you want to talk about that quickly? Yeah, no, I think that, so that's one of my pinned posts, right? Yes. It's always going to be there. It's always the first one you see. And I think because that, that encompasses my, my coaching style. So, so much of what I do is, is on the, is front loaded with education, right? I feel like if I, that, 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 uh, that saying, teach a man to fish, feed him for life, give a man a fish, feed him for, for a meal. That's what it's like. And when I, when I take my clients in, when they're getting onboarded, I, I make sure that they understand the the accounting system of food. So they understand protein, carbs, fats, how to count them and how that relates to the real world. Um, and which then means I'm not actually telling them exactly what to eat either. So they have the autonomy in saying, oh, what do I feel like having today? And it's not me saying eat this much of that, this much of that, this much of that. Because then if I did that, when they're sick of it and I disappear, how are they going to, how are they going to know what to do? Right. Right. So through what we call if it fits your macros or flexible dieting as, as a, as a fitness coach, I, my job is to first teach my clients how to use that format and basically understand how much they're getting from each, each food item. And then my job throughout the, throughout the weeks is to make sure that the numbers that I'm giving them is helping them see their, their progress. So each week I make an adjustment to their macros. Um, I can't, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that, um, there are many for plenty of ways that you can do, uh, maintain your, your health or your, your fitness and social life. But I feel like one of the ones that I had in there was probably under just to first actually understand how alcohol plays a role in mm -hmm. just excess calories. I feel like a lot of people think of alcohol and then they think empty calories. And I have this talk with my clients all the time. Like, what does that even mean? It doesn't really mean anything, but it's just calories that aren't coming from protein, carbs, and fats. And when we look at, like when we start counting macros and we understand, oh, this has carbs, fat, protein, and then we get a drink, like let's say a Truly, and then it says on the bottom, oh, only has two carbs. They're not accounting for the calories that are coming from alcohol itself. So it's, it's sneaky in that way. Um, I've had clients drink like 10 Trulies in a day and it technically fit their numbers, but because of the way that alcohol tracks in, they were way, it looked like they were under their food, but they're way over. So keeping alcohol in or just being aware of, you know, what has calories and what doesn't or how much you can have 
usually social life for most people means like a, a couple of drinks here and there, right? It right. means not having to give up alcohol completely. Um, yeah, that was and then a, that was tip number two. Okay, plan around. What's tip number your one, maybe pre-tracking calories. Plan, <clears throat> tip number one is plan around your your biggest meal or your meal out. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's Chili's, Applebee's, all the places you mentioned, Chick Fil A. <laughs> the cool thing about like big big chain restaurants, you can do this without obviously, but when, when it's a big chain, they have to have their nutrition facts in My Fitness Pal or just list it. And if it's listed, it's probably in My Fitness Pal. So if you wanted to go to Chili's tonight and you haven't eaten anything yet, you could plan around that. You could say, what do I want to get? I want to get their bacon burger with fries and onion rings and a beer. And if, if my clients put that in first and then they see what else they have left, it's kind of like an allowance, right? It's right. a budget, their calorie budget, their protein, carb, fat budget is worked in. So if you start with the biggest one, then you just work around it. Well, what do I need to eat to then still stay under my numbers or get to my numbers? Um, and it's again, because they understand how to build out their own meals, they could eat chilies, Applebee's every day if they wanted to, but yeah. pre-logging it and then building it around the, the biggest, the fun meal. Makes sense. And then that relates to tip number three, which is to save, save your macros or your calories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess in that, in this, I might've been talking about more, you're able to do it over a weekly period. So mm -hmm. there's not this, you know, your body doesn't just reset at midnight, right? Like, let's just say you need to eat 2000 calories a day. It's like a, it's like a credit card, right? Just because you're sliding a card at 1159 doesn't mean that's not going to show up on your statement later. Like they say, your body keeps a very close ledger of the calories in it knows everything that you eat. It, it's, it knows. So in this case, what I like to do is preach that it's about the weekly average and the weekly total so that people don't get caught up in the, well, I already overate a little bit, so I might as well eat everything today. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, um, so with that, if you can pre-plan, let's just say you wanted to go to Chili's and you wanted to have two of those burgers and 10 beers, then you would have to go in, log that into Friday and then potentially eat less the days leading up to that to then break even on the weekly average. Um, or if you, you know, planned in one burger and you ended up having two and then double the beers today, then tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then you'd have to eat a little bit less. So, so come check-in time on the week, at the end of the week, you still hit the averages that I asked for. Mm. So it's understanding that it's a, it's a running total. It doesn't stop at midnight or Monday or Sunday. Like it, I think having that mentality helps keep people from going way over their calories in, in like that fuck it mindset. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, exactly basically what you say in number step number four is don't dwell on overindulging. Yeah. Cause it's usually not as bad as you think it is. Mm. And I think again, having, having the, it takes a lot, you know, to, to track it after because there's guilt, there's shame sometimes and you feel bad. But anytime I have someone they're like, I didn't track it. Okay. Let's sit down. What did you have? And then they can put in exactly what they had. They're like a thousand calories over. It's nothing crazy. Cause they probably didn't eat anything leading up to that point anyways. And like, you can only eat so much. And if you are, you know, on a plan, your stomach usually and and an appetite shrinks to what you're doing. So if you're eating, let's say 2000 calories every day for a month, if you try and eat 5,000, your body's going to stop you before you get there. Right. Um, so yeah, putting it in and then seeing that, Hey, maybe I wasn't too bad. Hey, this is actually fixable in three days. If I just eat a hundred calories less, I'm good. So it's, it's really trying to keep people away from the I'm a failure. I let me just not try because I I fell off. Right. It's as much as a 
uh, mindset shift as it is the foods you're actually intaking. I mean, that's what yeah. we talk about a lot, right? This this mind body connection, and mm -hmm. how much we think and perceive and our perspective has with the way we view ourselves and what we should eat and how we should eat and how we should take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it becomes a really it's it feels like it's all mindset, really, it's just shifting because a lot of the habits themselves don't need to change. Like you can, I used to do this thing with my clients where uh, when they would start once they understood macros, they had to build out a perfect day in macros, based off things they already had without having to go shopping to prove to them that they don't need to change anything other than the how much and, and and they don't need to change anything other than understanding what is giving you protein what is giving you carbs and what is giving you fat and oftentimes they would stick a lot stick pretty closely with those foods because we're creatures of habit right right yeah yeah it's just basically being able to recognize within yourself that you are worthy of being taken care of by yourself like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat well. I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to sleep well. If I just have, if I'm, if I loathe myself, if I actually deeply dislike myself and you know, that's a challenging bridge to cross into mm -hmm. like actually taking care of yourself, but you can make tiny, small, little adjustments. That's and it does start with some of your food that you eat because the food you eat affects how your brain thinks affects how your, um, your gut feels and how you feel at, yep. during the day and your energy and how maybe you rest at night and how closely you ate to bed and all of these things. So it's just like, yeah, maybe you do deeply dislike yourself and getting to self-love feels like sprinting across the whole world. And I get that because, you know, yep. you, you hear all the time, You've hey, just there. love yourself. <laughs> but that's very hard if every part of you you don't like. And so if you can just like make a little decision to be like, mm, okay. I can do this one thing and then maybe like six months from now, I will sort of almost maybe think I'm okay. That's a huge mm -hmm. win. Like exactly. thinking you're okay. And then okay to all right, all right to decent, decent to hmm, all right. And then it's yeah. like maybe I can actually fall in love with myself and be the person who takes care of themselves. Then you have support systems mm -hmm. and then you have systems set up and you have these habits that you've built over like three years because you had to put in years. deep work to go from this exactly. hate to this love and then having a coach any sort of coach accountability partner along the way just to be there for you and help you with the tweaks and check your blind yeah. spots and see like and continue to give you permission to keep trying and oh it's just like you know it's magical and of course coaching is expensive and it costs money um yeah but you have to you, you can take the first few steps by yourself and then totally if you can afford it or if it's something that you know, you can budget out because it is very, very, very powerful and impactful. And so I just thought I'd mention that. Right. No, yeah. <clears throat> that reminded me of this quote that I like. It's um, work out because you love your body, not because you hate it. Yeah. And it's so true. And uh, when you were kind of mentioning how like you build habits and you believe you believe in yourself a little bit more and more, I feel like, I mean, that's basically what happened with me, right? When I started working out for the first time, I thought something was possible, but like at a micro level, what happens when my clients start is they, they're able to finally check boxes and say, I, I did that, right? Like I drank my water every day or I hit my protein or I did my cardio. And then just being able to like check a box each day. And then, you know, three months from now to be able to say, huh, I did that. Right. I showed up for myself and kind of like how you said in the beginning, I don't know if it was, it was recorded or not, but with, um, with the relationship 
with like my dad, for example, like he's building, he's building rapport almost. Yeah. Right. And our, our word with ourselves is, is affected by whether or not we're following through with those little micro tasks. And it's pretty easy, right? Just drink your water, hit your steps, hit your protein. And you know, you, you bank enough of those days and six months from now you, you have that self-confidence because you followed through with all thousand tasks that you've, you were supposed to do for the last six months. Right. With maybe the exception of a couple of fall-offs, you might've missed something here. There might, something might've come up, but majority of the time, you know, while on plan, you've been hitting your, hitting your stuff. And that's, that's where a lot of the confidence comes from. It's like, they might not even look that different by, you know, 12 weeks, but they just feel like the, yeah. the confidence oozes from them. And then, you know, through that, it starts bleeding into other aspects of their life, you know, professional or relationship, everything. Yeah. As, as I like to say, you're, you're building an undeniable stack of truth that you are the person you say you are. Yeah. That's Hermosi, then, right? Huh? Hermosi's yeah. line? Yes. Yeah. I love that line. I love yes. that line. When I heard that, I heard it via someone else quoted Hermosi. Me too. <laughs> and I was like, that's what it is. I'm like, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Right. right. And um, it's, it's having that proof. And it just feels good. And that proof isn't that, isn't that hard to come by. Right. But you do need a stack of it. <laughs> Like one little page of, of undeniable proof isn't, isn't undeniable. It's, it's undeniable because of repetition, I think. Yeah. Effort and consistency over a long period of time. Exactly. Yeah. I heard that quote from my favorite podcast, uh, Modern Wisdom. Okay. And the dude's name is Chris Williamson, and he's like buddies with Harmozy. Gotcha. And they, yeah. So he says it all the time. And so I say it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I listen to Harmozy podcasts often. Like I love his shit. He's and I've seen him speak dude, a couple times live. Yeah, he's a guy's a genius. Oh, is he good? He's a good. I bet he's an awesome live live speaker. Oh, bro, it was it was awesome. He's it like, was oozes like, like energy and charisma and attitude and flavor. It's like yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was flavor. It was. It was and he just looks like a cool dude. Like someone mm -hmm. like I would be like, chill. hey, dude, you want to go get chill. a lift in? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think I could keep up, but yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> be yeah, taking plates well. off half the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a big. He's a big boy. He's a big boy for sure. But I have one. I have one final thing. Well, I have two more questions, but one sort of final, big mm -hmm. rock. I want to get into the container before I let you go, and that's um, talking about men and therapy. So you spoke about <clears throat> going to therapy and going to these meetings and speaking about mm -hmm. what's happening in your life and trying to get that sorted out. What would you say to, uh, say, a young man or a man of any age listening to this, maybe potentially thinking about needing that in their life? Man, I feel so. I uh, since I started therapy, I never stopped. Right, like even through vacations, I was always scheduling. I haven't missed a week really for over a year. And then halfway through, I added couples therapy, mm -hmm. and so me and my wife do it every other week. And she she does therapy on her own, but I have so I see my therapist every every Friday, and then every other uh, Thursday, she is our couples therapist. So I I, I see my therapist like six times a month essentially, and. I think in the last session, I was like, how did I even survive without you? Just, just thinking about where, where the thoughts used to go that now I can say, oh, I just need to talk to her about this. Or I can't wait to talk to my therapist about this specific thought that I had or reaction to something. And well, I do know where it went. It was, it was me putting thoughts and ideas into my head that would kind of fester. And then it led to me wanting to to drink, right? Or to dis dissociate via usually, um, usually alcohol, but like I used to be big on, on like 
pills and stuff. I was, I was crazy. I'm a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> but that, that's what it came down to, right? And, and now I'm just like so thankful that I have, have a place to kind of unload that stuff. And I, I, I try and reword this because it's not just men. That that are that that that's it's stigmatized for it's everyone right especially right. even especially couples therapy like I feel like there's like a I, I see people kind of do something it's a visceral reaction when I say oh me and my wife go to couples therapy there's something that that happens in them especially because whenever I post about our relationship and our marriage it's so dreamy and everyone's like oh your couple's goals you you adore her she's your queen blah 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 all these good things but like you everyone can benefit from those you know and like having a place to again like table thoughts and ideas and to be able to address things when emotion is high or lo emotion is low that is that is so helpful and uh yeah but jokingly again i haven't figured out how to word it but usually for for fitness competitors at least my my like running joke that i'm again trying to reword is you don't need another prep or you don't need another coach. You need therapy. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of times, right, like prep, again, I've done 10 shows. I know the power that it has to dissociate. Like you can just dive in. You have so much control, right? You have control over your food, your weight, your posing, your look. You have so many things to do that you don't have time in the day when you're on prep to, to, to think about anything deep, really. Uh, you, might, you might get into some deep thought on a treadmill, but it usually stops surface level because – that in itself is is like fitness is an is an addiction in a ways. It feels like a healthy one, but prep is so dissociative that I'm thinking like, wow, how did I survive so many years with just you know not addressing these these thoughts and feelings that I had about myself? And I wish that I would have maybe instead of a third, a fourth, a fifth coach, just just invested in therapy beforehand. Mm -hmm. And uh, only this year, since I started, the one one of the, the proudest things that I, my proudest accomplishment was maxing out my cerebral referral credits that I've given out. Of, of I think it was like last year. It's like once I started, I was like, wow, I I could I couldn't recommend therapy to people that weren't doing it, right? right? But now I was like, oh, giving it to my clients, and I felt like, hey, like, thank you for sharing that with me. But like, I really think this would be helpful. And then to be able to give my code out so many times that they said, hey, you're not going to get like five dollars anymore from it it was <laughs> it was it was huge so yeah i i don't know i i feel like for myself if i were to come back if i were to if i were to go back in and talk to the younger version of me right and i were to see myself i was like oh i'm decked out in jewelry i drive a lamborghini have tattoos a successful business travel a lot and i would say hey dude do therapy trust me i think i think that's all i would need to hear <laughs> you know like you could still you know there's I don't, yeah, I don't get I don't get the stigma. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough because I do, I had one instance where a parent it was like a like a family member of some kind, and I remember sitting in a like a, a chair that looked like something that you would do therapy in, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, "Oh, this looks like a therapy chair," and she goes, "Oh, like why would you need to know what that looks like?" Uh huh. Uh, and I was kind of like, "Hmm, well, you know." Everyone needs therapy. Everyone can benefit from therapy, especially with <laughs> everything that's going on in the world and everything. It's just, always going on in the world can benefit, all the time. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I really wish that maybe I think my I'm gonna make it my not my duty, but I am definitely gonna post about it a little bit more. Um because I don't see many people posting about it, like their sessions or that they're doing couples or that they're going, you know, 
I, this is not talked about enough. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. I agree. Because therapy, people just hear that word and they hear mental health and they hear that and they're like, mm, crazy person. Not me. Yeah, crazy like, person. No, that's that's not it, man. Like therapy, there's there's different levels of therapy when you think about it, right? A lot of people go to therapy when they're at, when they're struggling at their, at their most, right? Rock they're just bottom. having yeah. a really hard time. They're in a crisis. They might have suicidal thoughts. They might have mm -hmm. all of these things. And then they go to therapy and the therapist's job at that point is to get you back to zero. Cause you're a negative is to get yeah. you back to zero. But then once you get to zero, people think that they're done. They don't need a therapist anymore. Well, why can't the therapist get you to or coach whatever to get you to plus one to plus two to plus three mm -hmm. to plus four to plus five to get you to the best version of yourself because you've already uh, overcome and adapted through the worst part of your life not to say that challenges aren't going to happen again they're always mm -hmm. even when you do therapy you're not exonerated from the work you still have to do mm -hmm. the work exactly. right but just like we talked about with with the chosen suffering you're armoring yourself with tools to equip yourself okay i know how to handle grief a little bit better this time. Mm -hmm. I understand how to regulate my emotions a little bit more. Here's how I express myself better to my partner. Oh, this is what I do like to do. Yes, I'm allowed to express my wants and needs. Oh, that's all right. Like all of these things. And mm -hmm. so if you and all of us and me can just express that, just going to someone and speaking to them who, who has the training and the knowledge to just help you. Like, yeah. and if not, it's like an hour of like, okay, here's what's on my mind, Yeah, you know? And then, cause your therapist needs a therapist too, because she's yep. hearing a lot. Like, and I, yeah. I, 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 I try to do a lot for the people who are hearing all of these horrific, hard, painful things. Like how can they then express themselves? So everyone is mm -hmm. in this like domino of help and support and everyone's intertwined in these ways. And then we have a common thread of humanity to pull on. And we're just like, a little bit better because of it. And then when we struggle, we're like, I know what that feels like. So I'm not going to make fun of you or shame you or guilt you and right. be like, here's my help. And I hope you get better. And I'm here if you need someone to sit in the dark with you. So that's really what it's all about. That would make a world a better place for sure. <laughs> Straight up. Straight up. Um, all right. I'm going to put you on the spot for this last question, but you, you can do it. Um, stolen from another one of my favorite podcasters, Tim Ferriss. I have to give him credit for it because eventually he's going to listen and he's going to hear it that I gave him credit every time I said this question. Fair enough. Uh, okay. But if you, Nico, were to create a billboard and that billboard was going to be seen by millions of people every single day, what would you put on that billboard? Um, I'd start with a QR code, that's for sure. That would link <laughs> to my, my socials. Uh, I have one now. <laughs> It's actually I have I have running ads I think in uh, Safeway actually right now yeah. and uh, a couple golf courses locally. So there's nice. some before and afters and then my QR code that leads to I think it's called I don't even know what it's called it might be called I don't know what it's called but it leads <laughs> to a page that basically has my Yelp my Instagram my Facebook um, my website. So I think if that many people are going to see it. I, it would be helpful to have a way to access all of my things, right? Sure. So putting a QR code on there, um, but it would definitely, it would definitely have to have some before and after pictures. I think so much of that, that undeniable proof that we talk about comes from the, somebody seeing a before and after that looks so crazy. And, and I reposted a, a, a testimonial today that somebody said, I signed up with him reluctantly because I, I literally thought his transformations were fake. <laughs> It's like, I, I, there's no way they could be real, like all of them, wow. you know? 
Yeah, it was it was something I reposted today because I was like, wow, she really she she took the leap, but she did think it was fake. And a lot of people do say that because they they're just like, what? You know, like we're used to being lied to so much in like by P90X, like social media and, and advertising before it was very that was the norm, right? Like airbrush stuff. But I don't know how to do that. So, yeah, having having some form of undeniable proof or some type of like shock and awe, like I'm talking some of my transformations that are like 150 plus pounds down to abs. You could still tell it's the same person, whether it be tattoos or face. Um, and then, and then a QR code that leads, leads to other places to find me again, so my socials. Awesome. And if they're not on the billboard, uh, soon they will be in the show notes for this episode. So you can, <laughs> I got you can go check Perfect. them out there. But, uh, yeah, man, people just want to like, that's why sharing your story is so important because people want to either see it or hear mm -hmm. it. And then they think to themselves, Oh, that's like a mom of two. And she just did that. Like, Oh, exactly. So can I, and I'll use Nico. He'll help me. Cheers. Yeah, I got that. And then I have a proof that I am that guy that can't help you. Cause a lot of people I'm there, I'm their last, they've tried everything, mm -hmm. right? Everyone's tried everything with still no luck. So let's just take the leap is what people, what it feels like people are doing, but <laughs> it's more like taking that first step. I think that's the most important. Absolutely. Well, man, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for your time. Man, thanks for I, having uh, me, brother. I, I love this you. conversation. Oh, it, it started off strong, ended strong. Yeah. It's awesome. Can't wait to connect more and deeper, and I can't wait for people oh, for to hear sure. this episode. So thank you, and uh, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Nico. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. And what was your biggest takeaway from today's episode? What is one small, tiny action you can take that will move you closer to becoming the best version of you? And if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And please don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, check out which tier might work best for you. And as always, I appreciate your support. Thank you. But most importantly, above all else, please, please, please take good care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.